So it was in 2019 when a man broke through a human limit that nobody thought would ever happen. And his name was Eliud Kipchoge. And in 2019, he was the first and so far still only person to ever run a marathon in under two hours. Now, I got to give you some perspective on that, just so you can understand how fast that is. That is running 26 miles where each mile is ran in four minutes and 34 seconds, <laughs> 26 times. Now, when people do stuff like this, it's exciting. I mean, it's pretty cool when you see people break through barriers. I mean, it could be, again, world records. It could be getting into space. It could be some new invention, but we love breaking through barriers. We love defying the limits as a human race. And here's one guarantee I have, though, for you. If somebody today told me, Brian, I need you to run a marathon in under two hours, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not happening. I actually can't even run one mile, even close to how fast that guy even ran. If you told me, Brian, I'm going to give you the rest of your life to practice to try and get under two hours in a marathon, guess what? That's not happening either. I have no chance, no chance to do that. If you told me, Brian, your life depends on this. If you do not run a marathon in under two hours, you're going to die. Guess what? I'm dying. That's what's going to happen because there's no chance. Some of us in this room, can we just be real? If you had a run around the church building in under two hours, we'd be rolling you out on a stretcher today. That, that's how it is. Here's just the reality. There are some limits that we cannot break through. There are some barriers that you are just never going to be able to handle. And as much as we love to break through barriers and limits, we hate when they break us and they hold us down. Some of us in here, you know the feeling of financial limitations. This is why you're feeling the pressure of debt and the financial weight of life. It's a limitation. Even if you have a lot of resources in here, there's still stuff you can't afford and you can't buy that you want. Some of us in here, you have a very real body limit. You woke up this morning sore and you haven't worked out in four years. You don't even know why you're sore. Stuff just hurts. You have weird body limitations. Think about how much of your life is dictated by limits. Every person in here, you actually have relational limits in your life. If you're married, you have a romantic partner limit on your life. It's one person, by the way, in case you need some refreshing. It's one. It's one. Okay? But you might be in here. You have a blended family. Maybe you're juggling kids with an ex. You have to decide who gets the kids this weekend, that weekend, which days. Those are limits you actually have to plan around for your life. Think about your own natural talents. Some of us in here are more athletically inclined. Some people are more musically inclined. Maybe you have one or two things that you're better than the average person at, but you have very real limitations around some of even the natural talents in your life. Think about your own body. Some people in here are tall. Some are short. Some of us have genetic stuff that we're navigating that came from a grandma or some distant relative. Time. Right now at this moment, there's not a single person here that can break through the 24-hour-a-day limit on your life. You are living by a very real-time limit. For all the Colorado folks here, and you guys joining us online, you have a very real housing price limit. <laughs> have you noticed that? Just by living in Colorado, there's only a certain amount of square footage you can afford. 17 square feet, that's what it is. So You've got limits all over. You chose a certain career that limited you against other things. You're living a certain season of life. You have limits based around that. Your entire life is limits. 
Now, because it is Mother's Day, I'm going to be giving the ladies a little bit of love throughout this sermon. I'm going to sprinkle some lady love in here. I feel like women in particular face a very real predicament in our culture. And it's not fair because I don't think men face the same challenge, but this is what I feel like women face. There is a message that is sold to ladies. And this is kind of the message you get sold, ladies. You can be the ultimate woman. And what this message basically is, is it's you can have perfectly healthy, happy, successful kids in the exact amount and gender ratio that you always hoped for. And when you have those kids, you can stay home with them full time and still have all the money and time and resources you could ever hope for. But guess what? While you're staying home full time with those kids, you can also work full time too. Because your husband shouldn't be the only one who gets to work a soul-crushing job. You should be able to work one too. And by the way, while you're staying home full time with those kids and working full time, you have all of the margin in the world to craft the perfect female physique so you can have a model-like figure because you don't have anything else going on in your life. And while you're doing all of these things, you can have a perfectly responsive husband who listens to you all the time and supports you in every way and never forgets Mother's Day. And then you can post on the internet how amazing your life is to all the other sorry women who don't have what you have. How's that going for you, ladies? And I do feel like sometimes women in particular feel this internal sense of like guilt and pressure because I think a lot of women are thinking, man, I should be able to do more. Like, why can't I seem to get all this done? Why can't I seem to handle all this? I even feel like my emotional limitations, I can't get through this. And the reality, ladies, is you have limits. You cannot do it all. None of us can do it all. And this is why the last couple weeks, if you're just joining us, we've been like in a series we have titled Pause. And we're speaking to this pressure that all of us kind of feel in our culture to hustle and grind and push and max out every single barrier in your life so you can have the lifestyle and the income and everything that our culture tells you you should have and you should want. And so the message is, if you have limits, break through them. Because if you work hard enough, if you want it bad enough, if you put the time in, you can have whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. And guess what? No, you can't. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. No, you can't. You have very real limitations on your life. There are certain things you cannot do. And there's actually things that God doesn't even want you to do. And I want to try to set some people free today, particularly the women. I hope this is a blessing to the ladies in here because I'm hoping we're going to see the limitations and barriers in our lives differently. I'm hoping we're going to see that these aren't the things actually preventing the purposes of God in your life, but you will see that some of the limits placed on you may be the greatest blessings that you've ever had. And God actually may be using them to direct you towards his unique purposes for you. So like, let's unpack this idea of limits for a little bit. Let's, let's talk for a minute about the lie of limits. Because there is a very real lie that many of us are falling for. And Paul was an author of many of the books in the New Testament. And he was writing a letter at one point to a group of people. And you just need to know about Paul. This guy was gifted. I mean, dynamic. A world-changing figure. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who lived beyond limits? I mean, it's Paul. He broke through massive barriers. And yet, there was a moment in Paul's life when God actually placed a pretty severe limitation on him. 
And Paul describes this experience in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says this, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, that's an interesting way to say it. He's using a bit of a metaphor here. And what's interesting about this metaphor is we actually do not know exactly what this was that Paul was facing. Now, a lot of scholars, you know, kind of hypothesize that there's probably some health component to this. This was like a severe debilitating condition. But what we do know is that this massively impacted Paul's ability to function. This was a huge inconvenience on his life. So much so he's like, this is like a thorn in my side. Now think about your own life. All of us in here, you have things in your life that are massively inconvenient, that you actually don't want, that you would love for God to take away. I actually had a conversation with a guy a little while back. He was recently married. And so I asked him, I said, hey, how's it going? How's the married life? He said, well, here's the thing, Brian. It's been quite an adjustment. He said, I come home from work, I'm exhausted. And she wants to talk about everything. He's like, I'm used to getting a couple hours of video games in. She just wants to hang out all the time. He's like, she washes the sheets every week. I've never washed them more than two times a year. We're always washing the sheets in this house. And it was funny to hear him talk about this because there's a lot of people that would actually look at their marriage and say, the person I'm married to is actually quite a limit on my life. They're actually preventing some of the happiness I hope to have. They're a barrier to some of the things I would hope to do in my life. Now, some of the parents in here, your kids feel like a very real limit. You know, you can't do all the things you want to do. Your time gets tied up. They're a massive demand and time suck on your life. I know there's probably a good number of people in this room, you have a health thing right now. And maybe it's a condition you've had for years. It's, you've been going to the doctor. You've been trying to figure it out. Maybe there's no clear cure. It's going to take a while. Like, this has been debilitating for you. And it's a massive inconvenience. And for whatever reason, you just have not seen God take it away. We could talk about money and all these different things. But this is the lie that we all tend to believe when it comes to our limits. If I can just remove the limit, then my life would be so much better. And there's no way God would want me to have this limit. Clearly, he would want me to take care of this as well. Now, please don't mishear me. I feel like I have to add a little disclaimer here. Some limits do need to be addressed. You know, you, you got an issue in the marriage. You may have to figure that out. Sometimes there's very hard decisions that have to be made in a relationship. The parenting journey can be hard. Sometimes adjustments need to be made. You should definitely go see a doctor if you've got a health thing. Like, I'm, I'm acknowledging all of that. But here's what we see from Paul. Sometimes... God will allow limits in your life. And they can be very unpleasant. Now, Paul is struggling with his. It even says that he pleaded to God multiple times for him to take it away. He didn't want this thing. But then God completely changes Paul's perspective about the struggles in his life. And look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. This is God's response to Paul. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes the only way God can get you to depend on him is for you to get to a place where you can no longer depend on yourself. 
And God placed a limit on Paul's life to force him into a place of dependency. But it was in that place where he started to access a level of power and strength he had never experienced before. This was so profound for Paul that he then said this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, this is this incredible paradox. Paul's pointing to this reality of the limits on your life, the things that make you feel weak, the things that you don't even want, are the very tools that God is using to give you a certain level of power and strength you don't have for yourself. It's an unbelievable reality. I'm wondering who in here knows who this guy on the screen is? Who knows who that is? Anybody know? I'm always shocked by how many people know. A couple people. Um, if you don't know, that man's name is Alex Honnold. And there's something interesting about Alex in particular. You see, every single one of us here has this part of our brain called the amygdala, okay? You didn't know you were coming to a science class today, all right? We're all back in middle school. So this amygdala is like your threat detector in your brain. It helps you detect danger. It essentially keeps you alive, okay? So you can recognize the stuff you shouldn't be doing. So all these studies have been done on Alex. You know, they put him in MRIs and all these doctors and researchers, and what they found is that Alex has an amygdala that doesn't work. It's totally inactive. He has no real ability to assess threats and fear and dangers. And you might be thinking, well, man, that sounds like a superpower. You have to understand, this has been massively debilitating for this guy. It's had a huge impact on the social, emotional side of his life. It's been a huge limitation. And yet, this limitation has been one of the primary forces that has led Alex to become the single greatest free solo climber in the history of the world. Now, if you notice that, there are no ropes there. There is no harness. Free solo climbing. And he's still alive today, if, you're, if, you, if that surprises anybody. He's still alive. Here's what's so paradoxical about, about Alex, though. His greatest weakness is actually his greatest strength. It's like his superpower. I'm wondering, what lies are you believing about your limits right now? What are you telling yourself? Saying, there is no way I'm going to be able to fulfill my destiny in this job. This is a dead end. God would not want me stuck in this job. I got so much more to offer. There's no way I'm ever going to get to where I want to be if I'm still going to have this diagnosis. There's no way. It's not going to happen. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to get where I need to be in this season of my life. I need to make massive changes to these limits because they are holding me back. We think the limits are preventing God's purposes. And yet, what very well may be happening in your life is God is trying to focus you towards his purposes. He's trying to help direct you towards what he actually has for your life because God says, my grace is made perfect in your limits. It is sufficient even when you feel weak and you don't feel like you have what you need. 
you have to start by breaking the lie of the limitations in your life. You have to break through that. But once you get there, you got to see this other dynamic when it comes to this limit conversation. you got to talk about tailor-made limits. Now, my kids have officially reached the age in their lives where they are painfully aware of the balance of justice in our home. <laughs> if they realize that there's any discrepancy in the fairness in things, they get the lawyers called in, there's paperwork, it's an entire ordeal in the bigger household, it's ridiculous. So this is particularly true in the area of food. So even just yesterday, I tried handing each of my kids a cookie. And instead of going, thank you, Dad, we're so grateful. Thank you for lavishing these blessings on us that we don't deserve. They immediately take the cookies and hold them right next to each other. And they put them, they get their weight machines out, they get the microscopes out, and they're checking every single chocolate chip to make sure it's exactly even because it has to be perfectly fair. If I give any of them a drink, they get the water droppers out and they start like balancing the cups exactly. It's ridiculous. Now all of us, Learn this from an early age, just the balance of fairness. And it's something actually that sticks with us pretty much our entire lives. Let me talk to the moms for just a minute again. I can love on the ladies. Moms, I'm wondering how many times you've had even just these thoughts in your minds throughout your parenting journey. Any moms in here think, well, why does she get to stay home full time with her kids? And I got to work this stupid job. Why does she get to go work a job and get a break from her kids? And I got to be stuck with them all day, staying at home. <laughs> well, wait, hold on. Their kid got what grades in what class? What teacher do they have? Hold on, what grade is my kid getting in that class? They got into what college? What scholarship did that kid get? Are you serious? Why does their kid get more playing time than my kid? There's no way their kid is better than my kid. Why is he getting all that playing time? Their kid knows three languages already. Wait, when is his birthday? How much older is he than my kid? And you just start making all these little comparisons, ladies, not just the ladies, but we feel it. All of us. We compare cars. We compare vacations. We compare followers. We compare appearance. We compare everything. And there's not a person in here where you have not had a moment where you've thought, that's not fair. Why did they get that? How come I don't have this? Why does their life look that way and my life doesn't? God, this doesn't seem very just. How's this supposed to work? There's a story um, about Jesus that fits so perfectly with this dynamic that we all experience. And what's interesting about this moment is Jesus has already died and risen from the grave. And he's preparing his disciples for just the next phase of redemptive history and what God's doing. And he's talking to Peter and he's giving Peter a little bit of a blueprint for his plan for him and what's coming up. In John 21 verse 8, we pick it up here. This is Jesus talking. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. If you don't know the story of Peter's life, he would go on to stretch his hands out on a cross because Peter was crucified just like Jesus. And actually, Peter was crucified upside down. Now, Jesus is trying to mentally and emotionally prepare him for this experience. So you just need to understand, Peter, there are certain plans in here. There's some limitations that you need to be aware of in what I have for you. And we know 
that Peter isn't exactly excited about this vision that Jesus has for his life. Because right now, right after that moment, he notices John, one of the other followers, out of the corner of his eye. And look where the story picks up. It says this, when Peter saw him, John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Isn't that the question we all ask? Well, God, what about that person? Why are you doing that for them? Why didn't you do it for me? Where's my hookup? What's going on here? And I love it because Peter's essentially asking, well, is he going to suffer as much as me? I just want to make sure it's going to hurt him as bad as it's going to hurt me. What's, what's the plan for him, Jesus? And this is where I always like to think, like, what could Jesus have said in this moment? And you, you always wonder, it's like, Jesus could have been like, don't worry, you're all going to suffer the same. I'm going to make it equally miserable for everybody. Okay? Don't worry, Peter. John's going to get his too. But Jesus, he doesn't play those games. He cuts right to the heart. And he says this to Peter. If I want him to live until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? It's none of your business. What do you care about the details of his life? And I love it. Jesus pushes it to an extreme. He's like, what if I don't want him to die? Yeah, you're going to get nailed to a cross. What if he doesn't die, though? What do you care? You know? <laughs> this is none of your concern. I um, started doing weddings in college. You know, I started going down this ministry path. And what was kind of funny about that little season was I didn't own a suit yet. So I got asked to do some of these weddings, and I had no, no way to dress up for them. So I was asking my roommates to let me borrow some of their suits. And I still remember trying on some of my roommates' suits, because the first time I tried one, it, I looked like a middle schooler going through a growth spurt. It was, it was intense. Like, they were all the way up here on my wrist. And then I tried another one of my roommates' suits, and I looked like a little kid in his dad's clothes. Like, they just did not fit at all. And then finally, as I was getting into seminary, I'm like, okay, I need to, like, do this the right way. So I went to a tailor. If you've ever had an experience with a tailor, it's pretty intense. They measure everything, all the arms and the legs and the hips and the waist and all the different things, and they get all the exact measurements, and then they give you these suits. And I put these suits on, and this was the first time in my entire life I ever wore a suit that actually fit. And guess what? It fit perfect. And I look good in these suits, everybody. I look real good in these suits. I mean, they fit, fit really good. And if I'm wearing one of them, I'm probably either doing your wedding or your funeral. Okay, that's just the reality. So these suits are incredible, though. But this is what I'm getting at. Jesus is trying to refocus Peter's attention. He's saying, I have a tailor-made purpose for your life. I have some exact measurements just for you. And you think these measurements are going to restrict and constrain. No, they're meant to be a perfect fit. And even though you want those other suits, even if you tried them on, they wouldn't even fit you anyways. You wouldn't look good in them at all. So you focus on what I have for you. There's a Christian academic many decades ago named Henry Nouwen. And he said this, No two lives are the same. We often compare our lives with those of others, trying to decide whether we are better or worse off. But such comparisons do not help. We have to live our life, not someone else's. We have to dare to say, this is my life, the life that is given to me, and it is this life that I have to live as well as I can. Nobody else will ever live it. No one has the same challenge. My life 
is unique. It's a good word. It's a good word. I had a friend text me two weeks ago, and he said, Brian, I'm having an identity crisis. I said, do tell. I'm very interested now. You have my attention. He said, well, I have a little brother, and he is just taking off. He's going viral on social media. He's this business-to-business consultant, and he is charging $5,000 an hour to consult with these businesses, and he has a packed schedule, and he's younger than me. And I don't know if I was just feeling a little feisty that day or what, but I said, well, do you feel called to be a business-to-business consultant? And he was like, well, no. So I said, then what's the problem? Or are you just mad that God's call on this guy's life means more money, fame, and recognition? You like his suit better. That's what's really going on. The organization I led before coming to Northern Hills was a nonprofit just around the state. And I remember having this board meeting, and there was one man on our board who made a massive amounts of money in the finance industry. He did really well for himself. And I remember him pulling me aside one time after a board meeting. He said, Brian, you could have made so much money in finance. You could have been so rich. And I remember thinking, and so what? That wasn't the suit God had for me. He had a pastor suit for me. And actually, I think it fits me kind of well. I kind of like my pastor suit, actually. I'm pretty grateful for it. So I just couldn't, I just didn't even understand the comment because I'm like, even if I went to God and said, well, God, why didn't you give me the finance suit? Why did you give it to that guy? I already know what he's going to say. What is that to you? You follow me. It's none of your business how much money I want that guy to have. That's the answer. And so, I love this line from Pete Scazzaro. He says, we find God's will for our lives in our limitations. The things that God has said no to in your life, the things that you can't do, the doors that haven't opened up, God is not doing that to restrict you and frustrate you. He's doing it to guide you towards his purposes. He has a tailor-made purpose for you. Every measurement has already been made. And so some of you today, you got to stop that comparison game. You're always looking at other people's lives. And Jesus is saying, what's that to you? You follow me. I've got a suit that fits you just right. It's tailor-made. And it's even going to look real good on you. You're going to look real good in that suit. you got tailor-made limits on your life from God. Now, if you've been paying any attention to the series, you know, you've been here the last couple weeks, maybe at some point in this message you've already thought, what does this have to do with rest, Brian? Weren't we talking about rest and stuff? Like, we're talking about limits? How does this even relate? What are we talking about right now? And I'm glad you've wondered that and asked. So I saved the best for last because we have to finish with a limit that liberates. Now, we've read this passage the last couple weeks, but I want to bring it back. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So if you have missed out in the last couple weeks, 
a lot of the content has been around this idea of taking a Sabbath, a day of rest, to stop and just experience the goodness of God and enjoy the good things of this life and that this is something God actually wants for you so you can experience real rest down into your soul. That's what we've talked about. But maybe you haven't thought about it from this angle. Do you know what this command really is? It's a limit. God is placing a limit in the rhythms of your life. He's saying, oh yeah, you can work. Go hard for six days. Make your money. Do what you got to do. But there's a limit. You need to take a day of rest. You need a day where you stop. And you are not trying to buy into the hustle and the grind. And God does not put this command in as a restriction and limitation to your life and everything you want to accomplish. Because I know some people think, Brian, there's no way it could take a whole day. I got too much going on. The list is never done. Here's what God is trying to do. He's saying, yeah, you feel all those pressures every day to break through limits and hustle and make that money and live up to all the standards of the culture. But one day a week, you need to stop and you need to remind yourself that you're not God. And that actually is a very good thing. It's not all on you. The weight of the world should not be on your shoulders. This is not a weight that God meant you to lift. And this is the challenge from God. He's saying, if you will embrace the limits of rest I've put on your life, I will prove to you that I can fulfill every single one of my purposes even when you stop. So, in 1853, there was a group of people that met up at Kansas City, and they were going to go on a trip together. They were going to cover 2,000 different miles by wagon to get to the Western Territory. This was, in fact, the Oregon Trail, which would one day inspire the greatest computer game ever invented known to man, known as Oregon Trail. Does anybody remember these moments playing this game? You've died of dysentery. <laughs> so, these people head out on the Oregon Trail, and they started to have a disagreement in this group. And one group of people said, we're not going to make it by winter. This is going to take us five or six months at least. We have to go. We cannot afford a single day off. We're going to go hard. There's another group of people that said, well, hold on, hold on. We got to embrace the limits. God put a limit on us of rest, even when it means going down the Oregon Trail. So they were saying, we got to take a day of rest. We're going to Sabbath, even on this hard journey. They had such a massive disagreement that they actually decided to go separate ways. And so the hurry up and dot, dot rest group, they just blazed ahead. They left the Sabbath group in the dust. They were gone, out of sight. The Sabbath group just plodded along every single week, no matter what the weather was like, what they had going on. They stopped one day a week and just chilled out and enjoyed life and just had fun and did their thing. Now, it was months and months and months later, the Sabbath group finally made it to the end of the Oregon Trail. They made it to the Western Territory. And they were looking around for the no-stop group, the grinding group. And guess what? They were not there. It would take them a couple more weeks to make it. And they had massive losses of people and supplies once they finally arrived. Whereas the Sabbath group showed up and they essentially had everything intact. Everybody was safe. They trusted God with a limit even when it put their own lives at risk. How many of us here 
feel that pressure every day. Well, I got to do this thing. It's all on me. If I don't do it, nobody else will. Like, I got to make this happen. And God says, no, 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 no. You got to let God set the pace. And then he will fulfill the promise. See, God is saying, I can do so much more with you if you will just trust me with the limits than if you try to break through them all the time. This is why Pete Scazzaro, I have one other quote on this. He says, on the Sabbath, we embrace our limits. We let go of the illusion that we are indispensable to the running of the world. We recognize we will never finish all our goals and projects and that God is on the throne, managing quite well, ruling the universe without our help. You will never overcome every limit in your life. You're not going to knock everything off the bucket list. You're not going to achieve every dream. There are very real limits, and that's okay. God says, trust me with these limits, because when you do, I will fulfill every single purpose I have for your life. I have to let you see how profound this idea really is. You have to understand how much this is embedded in just our human experience. Just follow me for one second, this line of thinking, okay? If you follow the creation story in the beginning of the Bible, God creates all these different things every day. On the sixth day, he creates mankind, men and women. Right after the sixth day is the seventh day, which is the first Sabbath. God institutes the Sabbath in this rhythm of creation. You know what that means? The first full day of Adam and Eve's existence was rest. That is not just a detail to overlook. God is sending a strong message with that. It's showing basically that when Adam and Eve came into creation, God already had the universe in his hands. He was managing it quite well. And he wants us to live from a place of rest being able to trust that he truly can handle everything. He has all the weight on his own shoulders and we can rest in that reality. Now, fast forward a couple of years, please keep following me here. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. You know what that was? The sixth day. The next day was Saturday, the seventh, Sabbath. Now you think when Jesus was crucified, this was the worst moment in human history, the most horrific event. Can you imagine all the things that these people had to figure out after Jesus got crucified? All the people you need to tell, all the details I need you to get in order. And yet, you know what Jesus' followers were doing the day after he was crucified? They were resting. They chose to embrace this limit that God had placed on them even in the worst moment of their lives. And yet, while they're resting and leaving this entire thing in God's hands, he was starting to do the greatest work in human history. Because while these people stepped out of their rest on Saturday, they came to an empty tomb on Sunday. Do you see this? Could you imagine what would have happened if the disciples 
chose to go against that limit. They're like, well, we got to get to the two-month standard. We got to figure this out. Jesus is dead. They could have messed up the whole redemption plan. <laughs> Could you imagine screwing up human salvation? Because <laughs> you opened up the tomb too soon? This is so powerful. God is showing that while we are stepping back to trust him and allow him to work, he is doing some of the most powerful things in our lives. And this is why today you can truly put your full faith in Jesus. You can put all your rest in him because he already did the greatest work on your behalf. He achieved salvation for you. He defeated death for you. While you were taking a nap, he was rising from the grave. This is how our God works. This is why you can rest. God promises, I'm doing the heavy lifting. I'm putting limits on you to help you. It's my grace. Let me work. God has work he wants to do in your life, but you need to get out of the way. You need to rest. And that's where some of the most powerful things will happen in your life. So this is the challenge, everybody. Embrace the grace and gift of limits in your life. Embrace the limit of rest that God has placed on you. Because as you rest in Jesus, God is doing some of his greatest work in your life. Will you all pray with me? Lord, we just praise you today. While we may have limits, Lord, you don't. There are no limits to your love. There are no limits to your grace and your goodness and your kindness to us, Lord. And we thank you that you broke the ultimate limit on the cross, Lord, our sin and death itself, God. We get to live in your grace today because of what you accomplished. And now, Lord, I just want to pray over our church right now. Every single one of us, God, we have very real limits right now represented here. I know some of us have health things that have just been frustrating us, maybe for years. Some of us have relational dynamics in our lives that just feel like are preventing so much joy and opportunity and life for us. Some of us have situations that we feel like we cannot just break out of. The doors are not opening. We're not seeing where you're moving here. And God, I just pray you would change our perspective. That we would see that some of the limits in our lives are your very grace. It's your love towards us, Lord. It's your goodness. Help us trust that today, God. Help us trust in the rest that we can have in Jesus. And Lord, I pray we would embrace every limit you have for us because that's exactly where we can experience some of your greatest work. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.